Part One, Chapter Five of the House of the Dead by Fyodor Dostoevsky, translator unknown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Five: First Impressions Continued. We were between walls once more. The doors of the barracks were locked, each with a particular padlock, and the prisoners remained shut up till the next morning. The verification was made by a non-commissioned officer accompanied by two soldiers. When by chance an officer was present, the convicts were drawn up in the courtyard, but generally speaking they were identified in the buildings. As the soldiers often made mistakes, they went out and came back in order to count us again and again, until their reckoning was satisfactory, then the barracks were closed. Each one contained about thirty prisoners, and we were very closely packed in our camp bedsteads. As it was too soon to go to sleep, the convicts occupied themselves with work. Besides the old soldier of whom I have spoken, who slept in our dormitory and represented there the administration of the prison, there was in our barrack another old soldier, wearing a medal as rewarded for good conduct. It happened often enough, however, that the good conduct men themselves committed offences for which they were sentenced to be whipped. They then lost their rank and were immediately replaced by comrades whose conduct was considered satisfactory. Our good conduct man was no other than Akim Akimitch. To my great astonishment, he was very rough with the prisoners, but they only replied by jokes. The other old soldier, more prudent, interfered with no one, and if he opened his mouth, it was only as a matter of form, as an affair of duty. For the most part, he remained silent seated on his little bedstead, occupied in mending his own boots. That day I could not help making to myself an observation, the accuracy of which became afterwards apparent, that all those who are not convicts and who have to deal with them, whoever they may be, beginning with the soldiers of the escort and the sentinels, look upon the convicts in a false and exaggerated light, expecting that for a yes or a no these men will throw themselves upon them knife in hand. The prisoners, perfectly conscious of the fear they inspire, show a certain arrogance. Accordingly, the best prison director is the one who experiences no emotion in their presence. In spite of the airs they give themselves, the convicts prefer that confidence should be placed in them. By such means, indeed, they may be conciliated. I have more than once had occasion to notice their astonishment at an official entering their prison without an escort and certainly their astonishment was not unflattering. A visitor who is intrepid imposes respect. If anything unfortunate happens, it will not be in his presence. The terror inspired by the convicts is general, and yet I saw no foundation for it. Is it the appearance of the prisoner, his brigand-like look that causes a certain repugnance? Is it not rather the feeling that invades you directly you enter the prison, that in spite of all efforts, all precautions, it is impossible to turn a living man into a corpse, to stifle his feelings, his thirst for vengeance and for life, his passions, and his imperious desire to satisfy them. However that may be, I declare that there is no reason for fearing the convicts. A man does not throw himself so quickly nor so easily upon his fellow man, knife in hand. Few accidents happen." Sometimes they are so rare that the danger may be looked upon as non-existent. I speak, it must be understood, only of prisoners already condemned, who are undergoing their punishment, 
and some of whom are almost happy to find themselves in the convict prison, so attractive under all circumstances as a new form of life. These latter live quiet and contented. As for the turbulent ones, the convicts themselves keep them in restraint, and their arrogance never goes too far. The prisoner, audacious and reckless as he may be, is afraid of every official connected with the prison. It is by no means the same with the accused, whose fate has not been decided. Such a one is quite capable of attacking, no matter whom, without any motive of hatred, and solely because he is to be whipped the next day. If indeed he commits a fresh crime, his offence becomes complicated. Punishment is delayed and he gains time. The act of aggression is explained, it has a cause, an object. The convict wishes at all hazards to change his fate, and that as soon as possible. In connection with this, I myself have witnessed a physiological fact of the strangest kind. In the section of military convicts was an old soldier, who had been condemned to two years' hard labor, a great boaster, and at the same time a coward. Generally speaking, the Russian soldier does not boast. He has no time for doing so, even had he the inclination. When such a one appears among a multitude of others, he is always a coward and a rogue. Dutov, that was the name of the prisoner of whom I am speaking, underwent his punishment and then went back to the same battalion in the line. But like all who are sent to the convict prison to be corrected, he had been thoroughly corrupted. A return horse reappears in the convict prison after two or three weeks' liberty, not for a comparatively short time, but for fifteen or twenty years. So it happened in the case of Dutov. Three weeks after he had been set at liberty, he robbed one of his comrades and was, moreover, mutinous. He was taken before a court-martial and sentenced to a severe form of corporal punishment. Horribly frightened, like the coward that he was, at the prospect of punishment, he threw himself knife in hand onto the officer of the guard, as he entered his dungeon on the eve of the day that he was to run the gauntlet through the men of his company. He quite understood that he was aggravating his offence, and that the duration of his punishment would be increased, but all he wanted was to postpone for some days, or at least for some hours, a terrible moment. He was such a coward that he did not even wound the officer whom he had attacked. He had indeed only committed this assault in order to add a new crime to the last already against him, and thus defer the sentence. The moment preceding the punishment is terrible for the man condemned to the rods. I have seen many of them on the eve of the fatal day. I generally met with them in the hospital when I was ill, which happened often enough. In Russia, the people who show most compassion for the convicts are certainly the doctors, who never make between the prisoners the distinctions observed by other persons brought into direct relations with them. In this respect, the common people can alone be compared with the doctors, for they never reproach a criminal with a crime that he has committed, whatever it may be. They forgive him in consideration of the sentence passed upon him. Is it not known that the common people throughout Russia call crime a misfortune and the criminal an unfortunate? This definition is expressive, profound, and moreover unconscious, instinctive. To the doctors the convicts have naturally recourse, above all when they are to undergo corporal punishment. The prisoner who has been before a court-martial knows pretty well at what moment his sentence will be executed. To escape it, he gets himself sent to the hospital, in order to postpone for some days the terrible moment. When he is declared restored to health, he knows that the day after he leaves the hospital this moment will arrive. 
accordingly on quitting the hospital the convict is always in a state of agitation some of them may endeavour from vanity to conceal their anxiety but no one is taken in by that every one understands the cruelty of such a moment and is silent from humane motives i knew one young convict an ex-soldier sentenced for murder who was to receive the maximum of rods the eve of the day on which he was to be flogged he had resolved to drink a bottle of vodka in which he had infused a quantity of snuff the prisoner condemned to the rods always drinks before the critical moment arrives a certain amount of spirits which he has procured long beforehand and often at a fabulous price he would deprive himself of the necessaries of life for six months rather than not be in a position to swallow half a pint of vodka before the flogging the convicts are convinced that a drunken man suffers less from the sticks or whip than one who is in cold blood i will return to my narrative the poor devil felt ill a few moments after he had swallowed this bottle of vodka he vomited blood and was carried in a state of unconsciousness to the hospital his lungs were so much injured by this accident that phthisis declared itself and carried off the soldier in a few months the doctors who had attended him never knew the origin of his illness if examples of cowardice are not rare among the prisoners it must be added that there are some whose intrepidity is quite astounding i remember many instances of courage pushed to the extreme the arrival in the hospital of a terrible bandit remains fixed in my memory one fine summer day the report was spread in the infirmary that the famous prisoner orloff was to be flogged the same evening and that he would be brought afterwards to the hospital the prisoners who were already there said that the punishment would be a cruel one and every one including myself i must admit was awaiting with curiosity the arrival of this brigand about whom the most unheard-of things were told he was a malefactor of a rare kind capable of assassinating in cold blood old men and children he possessed an indomitable force of will and was fully conscious of his power as he had been guilty of several crimes they had condemned him to be flogged through the ranks he was brought or rather carried in towards evening the place was already dark candles were lighted orloff was excessively pale almost unconscious with his thick curly hair of dull black without the least brilliancy his back was skinned and swollen blue and stained with blood the prisoners nursed him throughout the night they changed his poultices placed him on his side prepared for him the lotion ordered by the doctor in a word showed as much solicitude for him as for a relation or benefactor next day he had fully recovered his faculties and took one or two turns round the room i was much astonished for he was broken down and powerless when he was brought in he had received half the number of blows ordered by the sentence the doctor had stopped the punishment convinced that if it were continued orloff's death would inevitably ensue this criminal was of a feeble constitution weakened by long imprisonment whoever has seen prisoners after having been flogged will remember their thin drawn-out features and their feverish looks orloff soon recovered his powerful energy which enabled him to get over his physical weakness he was no ordinary man from curiosity i made his acquaintance and was able to study him at leisure for an entire week never in my life did i meet a man whose will was more firm or inflexible i had seen at tobolsk a celebrity of the same kind a former chief of brigands this man was a veritable wild beast 
by being near him without even knowing him it was impossible not to recognize in him a dangerous creature what above all frightened me was his stupidity matter in this man had taken such an ascendant over mind that one could see at a glance that he cared for nothing in the world but the brutal satisfaction of his physical wants i was certain however that karenov that was his name would have fainted on being condemned to such rigorous corporal punishment as orloff had undergone and that he would have murdered the first man near him without blinking orloff on the contrary was a brilliant example of the victory of spirit over matter he had a perfect command over himself he despised punishment and feared nothing in the world his dominant characteristic was boundless energy a thirst for vengeance and an immovable will when he had some object to attain i was not astonished at his haughty air he looked down upon all around him from the height of his grandeur not that he took the trouble to pose his pride was an innate quality i don't think that anything had the least influence over him he looked upon everything with the calmest eye as if nothing in the world could astonish him he knew well that the other prisoners respected him but he never took advantage of it to give himself airs nevertheless vanity and conceit are defects from which scarcely any convict is exempt he was intelligent and strangely frank in talking too much about himself he replied point-blank to all the questions i put to him and confessed to me that he was waiting impatiently for his return to health in order to take the remainder of the punishment he was to undergo now he said to me with a wink it is all over i shall have the remainder and shall be sent to nerchinsk with a convoy of prisoners i shall profit by it to escape i shall get away beyond doubt if only my back would heal a little quicker for five days he was burning with impatience to be in a condition for leaving the hospital at times he was gay and in the best of humours i profited by these rare occasions to question him about his adventures then he would contract his eyebrows a little but he always answered my questions in a straightforward manner when he understood that i was endeavouring to see through him and to discover in him some trace of repentance he looked at me with a haughty and contemptuous air as if i were a foolish little boy to whom he did too much honour by conversing with him i detected in his countenance a sort of compassion for me after a moment's pause he laughed out loud but without the least irony i fancy he must more than once have laughed in the same manner when my words returned to his memory at last he wrote down his name as cured although his back was not yet entirely healed as i also was almost well we left the infirmary together and returned to the convict prison while he was shut up in the guard-room where he had been imprisoned before when he left me he shook me by the hand which in his eyes was a great mark of confidence i fancy he did so because at that moment he was in a good humour but in reality he must have despised me for i was a feeble being contemptible in all respects and guilty above all of resignation the next day he underwent the second half of his punishment when the gates of the barracks had been closed it assumed in less than no time quite another aspect that of a private house of quite a home then only did i see my convict comrades at their ease during the day the under-officers or some of the other authorities might suddenly arrive so that the prisoners were then always on the lookout. they were only half at their ease as soon however as the bolts had been pushed and the gates padlocked every one sat down in his place and began to work the barrack was lighted up in an unexpected manner 
Each convict had his candle and his wooden candlestick. Some of them stitched boots, others sewed different kinds of garments. The air, already mephitic, became more and more impure. Some of the prisoners, huddled together in a corner, played at cards on a piece of carpet. In each barrack there was a prisoner who possessed a small piece of carpet, a candle, and a pack of horribly greasy cards. The owner of the cards received from the players fifteen kopecks, about sixpence, a night. They generally played at the three leaves, gorka, that is to say, a game of chance. Each player placed before him a pile of copper money, all that he possessed, and did not get up until he had lost it or had broken the bank. Playing was continued until late at night. Sometimes the dawn found the gamblers still at their game. Often, indeed, it did not cease until a few minutes before the opening of the gates. In our room, as in all the others, there were beggars ruined by drink and play, or rather beggars innate, I say innate, and maintain my expression. Indeed, in our country and in all classes there are and always will be strange, easy-going people whose destiny it is to remain always beggars. They are poor devils all their lives, quite broken down, they remain under the domination or guardianship of someone, generally a prodigal or a man who has suddenly made his fortune. All initiative is for them an insupportable burden. They only exist on condition of undertaking nothing for themselves, and by serving, always living under the will of another. They are destined to act by and through others. Under no circumstances, even of the most unexpected kind, can they get rich. They are always beggars. I have met these persons in all classes of society, in all coteries and all associations, including the literary world. As soon as a party was made up, one of these beggars, quite indispensable to the game, was summoned. He received five kopecks for a whole night's employment, and what employment it was. His duty was to keep guard in the vestibule with thirty degrees of frost, in total darkness for six or seven hours. The man on watch had to listen for the slightest noise, for the major or one of the other officers of the guard would sometimes make a round rather late in the night. They arrived secretly and sometimes discovered the players and the watchers in the act, thanks to the light of the candles which could be seen from the courtyard. When the key was heard grinding in the padlock which closed the gate, it was too late to put the lights out and lie down on the plank bedsteads. Such surprises were, however, rare. Five kopecks was a ridiculous payment, even in our convict prison, and the exigency and hardness of the gamblers astonished me in this as in many cases. You are paid, you must do what you are told. This was the argument and it admitted of no reply. To have paid a few kopecks to anyone gave the right to turn him to the best possible account, and even to claim his gratitude. More than once it happened to me to see the convicts spend their money extravagantly, throwing it away on all sides, and at the same time cheat the man employed to watch. I have seen this in several barracks on many occasions. I have already said that, with the exception of the gamblers, everyone worked. Five only of the convicts remained completely idle and went to bed on the first opportunity. My sleeping place was near the door. Next to me was Akim Akimitch, and when we were lying down, our heads touched. He used to work until ten or eleven at making by pasting together pieces of paper multicolored lanterns, which someone living in the town had ordered from him, and for which he used to be well paid. He excelled at this kind of work and did it methodically and regularly. 
when he had finished he put away carefully his tools unfolded his mattress said his prayers and went to sleep with the sleep of the just he carried his love of order even to pedantry and must have thought himself in his inner heart a man of brains as is generally the case with narrow mediocre persons i did not like him the first day although he gave me much to think of i was astonished that such a man could be found in a convict prison i shall speak of akimitch further on in the course of this book but i must now continue to describe the persons with whom i was to live a number of years those who surrounded me were to be my companions every minute and it will be understood that i looked upon them with anxious curiosity on my left slept a band of mountaineers from the caucasus nearly all exiled for brigandage but condemned to different punishments there were two lesgians a circassian and three tartars from dagestan the circassian was a morose and sombre person he hardly ever spoke and looked at you sideways with a sly sulky wild beast-like expression one of the lesgians an old man with an aquiline nose tall and thin seemed to be a true brigand but the other lesgian nura by name made a most favourable impression upon me of middle height still young built like a hercules with fair hair and violet eyes he had a slightly turned-up nose while his features were somewhat of a finished cast like all horsemen he walked with his toes in his body was striped with scars ploughed by bayonet wounds and bullets although he belonged to the conquered part of the caucasus he had joined the rebels with whom he used to make continual incursions into our territory every one liked him in the prison by reason of his gaiety and affability he worked without murmuring always calm and peaceful thieving cheating and drunkenness filled him with disgust or put him in a rage not that he wished to quarrel with any one he simply turned away with indignation during his confinement he committed no breach of the rules fervently pious he said his prayers religiously every evening observing all the mohammedan fast like a true fanatic and passed whole nights in prayer every one liked him and looked upon him as a thoroughly honest man nora is a lion said the convicts and the name of lion stuck to him he was quite convinced that as soon as he had finished his sentence he would be sent to the caucasus indeed he only lived by this hope and i believe he would have died had he been deprived of it i noticed it the very day of my arrival how was it possible not to distinguish this calm honest face in the midst of so many sombre sardonic repulsive countenances before i had been half an hour in the prison he passed by my side and touched me gently on the shoulder smiling at the same time with an innocent air i did not at first understand what he meant for he spoke russian very badly but soon afterwards he passed again and with a friendly smile again touched me on the shoulder for three days running he repeated this strange proceeding as i soon found out he wanted to show me that he pitied me and that he felt how painful the first moment of imprisonment must be he wanted to testify his sympathy to keep up my spirits and to assure me of his good will kind and innocent nora of the three tartars from dagestan all brothers the two eldest were well-developed men while the youngest ali was not more than twenty-two and looked younger he slept by my side and when i observed his frank intelligent countenance thoroughly natural i was at once attracted to him and thanked my fate that i had him for a neighbour in place of some other prisoner his whole soul could be read in his beaming countenance his confident smile had a certain childish simplicity 
his large black eyes expressed such friendliness such tender feeling that i always took a pleasure in looking at him it was a relief to me in moments of sadness and anguish one day his eldest brother he had five of whom two were working in the mines of siberia had ordered him to take his yatagan to get on horseback and follow him the respect of the mountaineers for their elders is so great that young ali did not dare to ask the object of the expedition he probably knew nothing about it nor did his brothers consider it necessary to tell him they were going to plunder the caravan of a rich armenian merchant and they succeeded in their enterprise they assassinated the merchant and stole his goods unhappily for them their act of brigandage was discovered they were tried flogged and then sent to hard labour in siberia the court admitted no extenuating circumstances except in the case of ali he was condemned to the minimum punishment four years confinement these brothers loved him their affection being paternal rather than fraternal he was the only consolation of their exile dull and sad as a rule they had always a smile for him when they spoke to him which they rarely did for they looked upon him as a child to whom it would be useless to speak seriously their forbidding countenances lightened up i fancied they always spoke to him in a jocular tone as to an infant when he replied the brothers exchanged glances and smiled good-naturedly he would not have dared to speak to them first by reason of his respect for them how this young man preserved his tender heart his native honesty his frank cordiality without getting perverted and corrupted during his period of hard labour is quite inexplicable in spite of his gentleness he had a strong stoical nature as i afterwards saw chaste as a young girl everything that was foul cynical shameful or unjust filled his fine black eyes with indignation and made them finer than ever without being a coward he would allow himself to be insulted with impunity he avoided quarrels and insults and preserved all his dignity with whom indeed was he to quarrel every one loved him caressed him at first he was only polite to me but little by little we got into the habit of talking together in the evening and in a few months he had learnt to speak russian perfectly whereas his brothers never gained a correct knowledge of the language he was intelligent and at the same time modest and full of delicate feeling ali was an exceptional being and i always think of my meeting him as one of the lucky things in my life there are some natures so spontaneously good and endowed by god with such great qualities that the idea of their getting perverted seems absurd one is always at ease about them accordingly i had never any fears about ali where is he now one day a considerable time after my arrival at the convict prison i was stretched out on my camp bedstead agitated by painful thoughts ali always industrious was not working at this moment his time for going to bed had not arrived the brothers were celebrating some mussulman festival and were not working ali was lying down with his head between his hands in a state of reverie suddenly he said to me well you are very sad i looked at him with curiosity such a remark from ali always so delicate so full of tact seemed strange but i looked at him more attentively and saw so much grief so much repressed suffering in his countenance of suffering caused no doubt by sudden recollections that i understood in what pain he must be and said so to him he uttered a deep sigh and smiled with a melancholy air i always liked his graceful agreeable smile when he laughed he showed two rows of teeth 
which the first beauty in the world would have envied him you were probably thinking ali how this festival is celebrated in dagestan ah you were happy there yes he replied with enthusiasm and his eyes sparkled how did you know i was thinking of such things how was i not to know you were much better off than you are here why do you say that what beautiful flowers there are in your country is it not so it is a true paradise be silent please he was much agitated listen ali had you a sister yes why do you ask me she must have been very beautiful if she is like you oh there is no comparison to make between us in all dagestan no such beautiful girl is to be seen my sister is indeed charming i am sure that you have never seen any one like her my mother also is very handsome and your mother was fond of you what are you saying certainly she was i am sure that she has died of grief she was so fond of me i was her favourite child yes she loved me more than my sister more than all the others this very night she has appeared to me in a dream she shed tears for me he was silent and throughout the rest of the night did not open his mouth but from this very moment he sought my company and my conversation although very respectful he never allowed himself to address me first on the other hand he was happy when i entered into conversation with him he spoke often of the caucasus and of his past life his brothers did not forbid him to converse with me i think even that they encouraged him to do so when they saw that i had formed an attachment to him they became more affable towards me ali often helped me in my work in the barrack he did whatever he thought would be agreeable to me and would save me trouble in his attentions to me there was neither servility nor the hope of any advantage but only a warm cordial feeling which he did not try to hide he had an extraordinary aptitude for the mechanical arts he had learnt to sew very tolerably and to mend boots he even understood a little carpentering everything in short that could be learnt at the convict prison his brothers were proud of him listen ali i said to him one day why don't you learn to read and write the russian language it might be very useful to you here in siberia i should like to do so but who would teach me there are plenty of people here who can read and write i myself will teach you if you like oh do teach me i beg of you said ali raising himself up in bed he joined his hands and looked at me with a suppliant air we went to work the very next evening i had with me a russian translation of the new testament the only book that was not forbidden in the prison with this book alone without an alphabet ali learnt to read in a few weeks and after a few months he could read perfectly he brought to his studies extraordinary zeal and warmth one day we were reading together the sermon on the mount i noticed that he read certain passages with much feeling and i asked him if he was pleased with what he read he glanced at me and his face suddenly lighted up yes yes jesus is a holy prophet he speaks the language of god how beautiful it is but tell me what it is that particularly pleases you the passage in which it is said forgive those who hate you ah how divinely he speaks he turned towards his brothers who were listening to our conversation and said to them with warmth a few words they talked together seriously for some time giving their approval of what their young brother had said by a nodding of the head then with a grave kindly smile quite a mussulman smile i liked the gravity of this smile they assured me that isu that is jesus was a great prophet he had done great miracles he had created a bird with a little clay on which he breathed the breath of life and the bird had then flown away that they said was written in their books 
They were convinced that they would please me much by praising Jesus. As for Ali, he was happy to see that his brothers approved of our friendship, and that they were giving me what he thought would be grateful words. The success I had with my pupil in teaching him to write was really extraordinary. Ali had brought paper at his own expense, for he would not allow me to purchase any, also pens and ink, and in less than two months he had learnt to write. His brothers were astonished at such rapid progress. Their satisfaction and their pride were without bounds. They did not know how to show me enough gratitude. At the workshop, if we happened to be together, there were disputes as to which of them should help me. I do not speak of Ali. He felt for me more affection than even for his brothers. I shall never forget the day on which he was liberated. He went with me outside the barracks, threw himself on my neck, and sobbed. He had never embraced me before, and had never before wept in my presence. You have done so much for me, he said. Neither my father nor my mother have ever been kinder. You have made a man of me. God will bless you. I shall never forget you, never. Where is he now? Where is my good, kind, dear Ali? Besides the Circassians, we had a certain number of Poles who formed a separate group. They had scarcely any relations with the other convicts. I have already said that, thanks to their hatred for the Russian prisoners, they were detested by everyone. They were of a restless, morbid disposition. There were six of them, some of them men of education, of whom I shall speak in detail further on. It was from them that during the last days of my imprisonment I obtained a few books. The first work I read made a deep impression upon me. I shall speak further on of these sensations, which I look upon as very curious, though it will be difficult to understand them. Of this I am certain, for there are certain things as to which one cannot judge without having experienced them oneself. It will be enough for me to say that intellectual privations are more difficult to support than the most frightful physical tortures. A common man sent to hard labor finds himself in kindred society, perhaps even in a more interesting society than he has been accustomed to. He loses his native place, his family, but his ordinary surroundings are much the same as before. A man of education, condemned by law to the same punishment as the common man, suffers incomparably more. He must stifle all his needs, all his habits. He must descend into a lower sphere, must breathe another air. He is like a fish thrown upon the sand. The punishment that he undergoes, equal for all criminals according to the law, is ten times more severe and more painful for him than for the common man. This is an incontestable truth, even if one thinks only of the material habits that have to be sacrificed. I was saying that the Poles formed a group by themselves. They lived together, and of all the convicts in the prison they cared only for a Jew, and for no other reason than because he amused them. Our Jew was generally liked, although everyone laughed at him. We only had one, and even now I cannot think of him without laughing. Whenever I looked at him I thought of the Jew Yankel, whom Gogol describes in his Taras Bulba, and who, when undressed and ready to go to bed with his Jewess in a sort of cupboard, resembled a fowl. But Isaiah Fomich Bumstein and a plucked fowl were as like one another as two drops of water. He was already of a certain age, about fifty, small, feeble, cunning, and at the same time very stupid, bold, and boastful, though a horrible coward. His face was covered with wrinkles, his forehead and cheeks were scarred from the burning he had received in the pillory. I never understood how he had been able to support the sixty strokes he received. He had been sentenced for murder. 
he carried on his person a medical prescription which had been given to him by other jews immediately after his exposure in the pillory thanks to the ointment prescribed the scars were to disappear in less than a fortnight he had been afraid to use it he was waiting for the expiration of his twenty years after which he would become a colonist in order to utilize his famous remedy otherwise i shall not be able to get married he would say and i must absolutely marry we were great friends his good humour was inexhaustible the life of the convict prison did not seem to disagree with him a goldsmith by trade he received more orders than he could execute for there was no jeweller's shop in our town he thus escaped his hard labour as a matter of course he lent money on pledges to the convicts who paid him heavy interest he arrived at the prison before i did one of the poles related to me his triumphal entry it is quite a history which i shall relate further on for i shall often have to speak of isaiah fomitch Bumstein. as for the other prisoners there were first of all four old believers among whom was the old man from starodub two or three little russians very morose persons and a young convict with delicate features and a finely chiselled nose about twenty-three years of age who had already committed eight murders besides a band of coiners one of whom was the buffoon of our barracks and finally some sombre sour-tempered convicts shorn and disfigured always silent and full of envy they looked askance at all who came near them and must have continued to do so during a long course of years i saw all this superficially on the first night of my arrival in the midst of thick smoke in a mephitic atmosphere amid obscene oaths accompanied by the rattling of chains by insults and cynical laughter i stretched myself out on the bare planks my head resting on my coat rolled up to do duty in lieu of a pillow not yet supplied to me then i covered myself with my sheepskin but thanks to the painful impression of this evening i was unable for some time to get to sleep my new life was only just beginning the future reserved for me many things which i had not foreseen and of which i had never the least idea end of chapter five recording by expatriate in bangor maine